This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we break down the new Astra data store offering with Arindam Banjuri and Guna Maraputi of NetApp. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipor. Zipor. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have some special guests here from the Astra team to talk specifically about Astra Data Store. So with us today we have Arindam Banjari. So Arindam, what do you do here at NetApp and how do I reach you? Hey Justin, good good to be here. Good to be chatting with you. Uh, I'm a senior technical director here in NetApp, being here for 10 years. I'm the architect for ONTAP and the principal architect for Astra Data Store. That's what we're going to talk about today. All right, excellent. If we want to reach you, I guess we have a LinkedIn and email we can put in the blog for you, right? Yes, you can reach me on LinkedIn. I will provide my email, firstname.lastname at netapp.com. All right, excellent. Also with us today, we have uh, Guna Marapudi. So Guna, what do you do here at NetApp and how do we reach you? I'm Guna Marapudi. I'm Senior Director of Product Management for Astra. I'm fortunately not in the basement, <laughs> working from a uh, living room. Uh, for a change, we got rains here in California. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn or email, again, firstname.lastname at netapp.com. All right, excellent. We'll also include that in the blog. Let's say you get a treadmill behind you there. <laughs> is, that, is that your treadmill? I'll see <laughs> Decorator item. There <laughs> yeah, we go. All right, so uh, like I said, we're here to talk about Astra Data Store, but to talk before we start talking about that, I'd like to talk about Astra in general because there's been kind of a conceive a, a conception of what Astra is, and I'd like to, to kind of clarify what it is and what it's become and what it you know. And hopefully, you'll start to understand where it's going. So, Guna, can it, can you give us the Astra overview there? Absolutely. Um, so, when we started Astra sometime like last year, we found this wide space in the market for dealing with the stateful applications. Again, stateful, you know, if it's a little too much of a Kubernetes jargon, uh, any application that uses data. Uh, one could question, like, you know, tell me the application that doesn't use the data, right? That's the other way to look at it. So at a very high level, uh, there, is a, there is not a very well-defined solution to address these application challenges that want to manage data, that want to use the data. So to address that, you know, it took us a it took us a while, but uh, you know, starting uh, early early this year, uh, starting in Q1, uh, we are one of the first ones to deliver. Uh, our product name is Astra Control, uh, which which provides that application-aware data management. I know it's a it's a it's a mouthful, but simply put, all uh, all we're trying to do is like, you know, if your Kubernetes application is using data you can very seamlessly provide backup and DR functionality to those applications. Um, and we have been doing Astra Trident uh, for I think a little over four years that uh, helps provision storage from NetApp storage to, um, to the Kubernetes application clusters. And then, you know, the topic of the discussion today, Astra Data Store, now the customers can also provision storage or manage a data service as natively as at another uh, application within the same Kubernetes cluster. So this is kind of, you know, in a, in a, in a quick 30 seconds or one minute, I painted where we started, where we are going, um, and, you know, where uh, these three components uh, fall in place, Astro Control, Astro Trident, and Astro Data Store. 
So let's start with Astra Control. Um, so when I looked at Astra Control, it looked like it was a way to do data protection, clone things. Um, why why have a control center to do that? Like, what problem was it trying to solve? And was there not another solution out there that did this, or is there, or, or are there other solutions that just aren't as good? Yeah, I want to say yes to everything. <laughs> First of all, you know, uh, Kubernetes is a happening place, right? It's very tough to find a thing that you say, oh, I know what people haven't done that in the past. So it's it's not like that. People have been trying to do, um, and we have certainly a vantage point because those applications when they're using on tap systems or any flavor of NetApp storage, we believe we can do a lot more when the, the particular solution is very well integrated with the storage backend. Uh, but let me address your the the, the key question first. Uh, you know, at a very high level, you're asking, like, what are the challenges? Why do people care? So the first question, the the, the first topic there is, if you kind of you know take a Kubernetes application, uh, you know, I don't want to call it rip apart, uh, but uh, uh, slowly unravel it or you know slowly unwrap it, you get to see like you know three distinct pieces. The first piece is the Kubernetes uh, objects. Because the declarative nature of Kubernetes, you know, every application has a manifest. So as part of that, you know, whenever they deploy an application, it generates a quite a few Kubernetes objects, right? You know, it could be parts, it could be stateful sets or config maps, secrets, you know, there are a whole bunch of these things, right? And that's actually part and parcel of an, that so-called Kubernetes application. And then there is another aspect, which is especially when you and I talk about uh, the, the data rich applications, the storage volumes, what we traditionally call storage volume, Kubernetes presents a storage volume to the application part as called a persistent volume. You know, you can call it the jargon, but you know, it's a PV, uh, people know it by. So you now have a lot of Kubernetes objects. Uh, you have these persistent volumes that are uh, coming off a storage uh, uh, provider of uh, the application's choice. And more importantly, the application itself has a state, you know, maybe in its own RAM, but not committed to the persistent store yet. Uh, as you can see, right, like, you know, that, that application doesn't look that pretty anymore. You really have to deal with, like, you know, three aspects three different distincts, uh, the Kubernetes objects stored in HCD uh, database or the Kubernetes cluster. The application state is completely unique to that application in its, uh, you know, the RAM that is uh, provisioned for that application at the time and the PVs that are actually in the, uh, in the storage provider. So for somebody to say, I'm going to do this application, I mean, you know, we all in the storage industry know uh, application consistent backups, right? compared to the crash consistent backups. So if you think about those application consistent data protection operations, uh, you really need to have a layer that orchestrates all these three things. Take a, take a, take a view of the application specific Kubernetes objects in the HCD database, uh, help applications to somehow store whatever is in the RAM to a persistent storage, non-volatile storage, and also manage the persistent, the, 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 the protection of the persistent volumes. So that's exactly these things, all these three things have to be done for somebody to say, I will protect your application. And that is like, you know, the core part and parcel of Astro Control. So with that aspect, you know, under consideration, how does it resolve the application side with the storage side? Because they're functionally independent. 
right? So are, is there communication happening with the application and the storage? Is it is it coordinating these efforts? Yeah, great question. I think you know, this is like the way to, uh, it also rolls into our roadmap, right? Uh, and that's exactly where Trident comes into picture. Uh, so one thing uh, the Kubernetes community did, uh, you know, pretty for the last couple of years is uh, CSI, the Container Storage Interface. Um, and CSI has a pretty good functionality. You can create, you know, you can trigger snapshots, you can trigger clones, etc. There are good functionality there. So what we do with Astro Control, uh, actually Astro Control is built on top of Astro Trident. Uh, Trident is what we have been using in the past to provision storage to Kubernetes applications, as I mentioned earlier. But it's a very, very per volume view or a storage centric view. So now Astra Control, uh, to perform all these things, it actually talks to the, uh, the API server, gets the Kubernetes objects associated with the application. Now it leverages CSI interface through Trident to create a snapshot on the, uh, on the ONTAP system, take a snapshot, and then store it uh, onto uh, a backup target along with those application objects. So if you can paint a picture in your mind, you know, there is this... Uh, 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 Kubernetes cluster, the CSA operator is within the Kubernetes cluster. Astro control can reside in the same cluster or outside the control or outside the Kubernetes cluster, but can orchestrate operations through a very well-defined uh, Kubernetes API and leverage these building blocks. So with the Astro control piece, does it support only NetApp things or does it also go outside a little bit? Can we, can we manage other storage, other PVs, other applications, or is it you know, strictly for NetApp? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good question. So uh, I'll answer a little differently and I mean, I'll answer something else and then I'll answer your question, which is uh, you didn't ask, but you know, that's a very good question. You're asking at a very high level. You're kind of checking the interoperability pieces of Astro control at a very high level, right? So Astro Control can run uh, on any Kubernetes cluster. You know, obviously a particular version dependency there, and also compatibility with the upstream vanilla Kubernetes clusters. Like you now, right now we say like 1.19 and above. Um, there's a Kubernetes version. What I just said. Um, uh, then you know it can be deployed in the cloud or on-prem. Though you didn't ask, you know, just to kind of paint the picture for you. Uh, you said the applications, but Astro Control can work with Kubernetes applications. So there is no dependency. The app owners can go and you know, apply their applications onto the Kubernetes clusters without telling Astro Control, and Astro Control will automatically discover it. And there is a, a huge benefit to it, I'll talk about later. Uh, but now going back to your question, uh, what storage backends can those applications use uh, for somebody to leverage Astro Control? The answer today is, uh, NetApp storage. As I mentioned earlier, we are actually built on top of CSI interface, right? So architecturally, we can support any other storage. Um, so uh, I cannot tell too many details uh, because we'll be a little ahead of a uh, uh, roadmap, but uh, there are plans to support uh, non-storage, non-NetApp offerings in the cloud uh, and something like that, you know, we'll do for our on-prem customers in the future. Yeah, and I guess because of the CSI piece and because you know we are positioning as more cloud oriented and we want we want to be more of a cloud company yeah. you would have to kind of consider these other non netup options especially exactly. when you're when you're thinking about migration you're thinking about yeah. stickiness you're thinking about multi cloud architectures hybrid cloud you've got a lot of different aspects here that astra can potentially assist with 
Absolutely. I think, you know, there's one thing to say, like, you know, uh, NetApp is uh, NetApp storage, but in NetApp also, right, we have like, you know, three or four different storage subsystems like ONTAP, SolidFire, uh, E-Series, uh, and, you know, again, the topic of the day, Astro Data Store. So Astro Control can already support all of them, right? Again, through the Trident, through the same CSI interface. Uh, so if you can just picturize, you know, there is one more storage provider who is CSI compliant, Theoretically, we can support. At that time, the question is not on technical boundaries. It's about if our customers deploy that solution, what would their support experience be? You know, we don't want vendors to finger point at each other, right? So uh, the way we'll build up that ecosystem is uh, through a very well-defined means. And you're correct, in the cloud space, you know, there are very well-defined standard APIs, uh, you know, and we can easily support. For on-prem, non-net app storage, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out those uh, those, um, what do you call it? the supportability matrix? Yeah. Technically, it's feasible. Yeah, and this isn't unheard of. I mean, we've already done this type type of interoperability yeah. with other <laughs> platforms with something like Fabric Pool, where you can use any S3 provider to any S3 object store, whether it's NetApp or not. So it's it's not something that we haven't done before. I think it's just something that you're right. You want to have some semblance of control of the export support experience because you don't want customers to think NetApp stinks when it's actually the other things that stink. <laughs> so yeah, that, that said, um, so, you, you know, you, you touched on Astro data store, how that can be a p- potential component into this. So this just got, I guess, announced in the last few weeks of this podcast. What is Astro data store and, you know, why is it compelling? Yeah, we are super excited. Um, uh, on announcing the Astro data store. I think Arindam will tell, a uh, lot more details uh, on the on the great innovations we made in the product. Uh, it's been in the works for a while. Um, this uh, we believe, you know, like the question that you asked me earlier, right? You know, there are already existing uh, SDS solutions, or software-defined solutions, a software-defined storage solutions in Kubernetes. I know. So, or what are you excited about? Right? Fair question. If you were to ask, the way we think about Astro Data Stories. There is fundamentally something amiss in the current landscape for the customers. Again, like you know, we all know in the storage industries, there is no one size fits all, right? People have different use cases, different requirements. Uh, for those customers who really are going after the cloud native applications, uh, you know, maybe they also cross the, the the belief that you know software defined is their way of deployments of these cloud native use cases. Uh, when data plays such a critical role in the current day and age uh, on how they run their business, there's this fundamental problem people struggle with. Uh, How can they provide their applications the most resilient solution, storage solution that they can can use without worrying about everything else? So these were the earlier providers, you know, there are a bunch of them, uh, uh, open source and proprietary source as well. Uh, people solve the problem, right? You know, uh, uh, software-defined storage, or in fact, is software-defined scale-out storage has been there for a while, right? You know, all forms and shapes. But uh, we believe, you know, they, they all usually have one or two or, you know, a few g- different gaps uh, at a very high level. The first thing is, people actually say, you know, they go to the crux of it. I'll, div- I'll give a different, what do you call it, distributed storage system, but or use my proprietary client. If you think from an operations perspective, right, you know, you're actually asking every Kubernetes cluster to have 
a proprietary software. Sometimes this software is actually a kernel software, Linux kernel software. Think about it. We're asking customers to use a, a serving Kubernetes solution with a Linux kernel uh, uh, change required, right? It's extremely disruptive. Uh, so, and similarly, some people say that, oh, that's all good, but I will not give you a shared volume. Like in the, in the Kubernetes parlance, remember I talked about the persistent volumes. Uh, Kubernetes did a fantastic job of providing very great semantics to the customers or to the application developers. They can tell in a very declarative fashion, do I need a shared volume or a non-shared volume? People can say, oh, no, no, I, I, the vendors actually force the applications. Say, you know, non-shared volumes is all you want. And then you deal with the complexity of sharing the data, right? Uh, versus, you know, give the shared volumes. You know, people may not share it. They don't want. But if they were to share, they can leverage the benefits that come with it, right? And the, the other thing is, uh, for most containers, you, you, if you look at, uh, you know, pick randomly, you know, go to GitLab, GitHub, you know, pick any, any Kubernetes application worth its name. Uh, there is a common pattern that you see. We believe that like, containers are file first. Even if you present a block device to it, to the PV is a block device, they map a local file system and start using it because you know file is the most friendly protocol there of for any 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 application. Uh, again, we all know, right? You know, we are NetApp. You know, the, you know we're the best in class in file. A lot of people try to imitate but fail. Uh, so they they all you know so provide what they do is like you know, take a block volume. You know, no sharing of any sort. Um, and if they're really forced to support file, uh, you know, the file is uh, comes from from a third party component, or it's a, you know it's, it's an add on, right? It's a bolted on solution. Uh, long story short, what we really want to tell you is uh, there is no even though Kubernetes has been there, there are some early entrants into this space. There is no solution today uh, that's shipping out there. Uh, which uh, addresses these shared storage solutions that are file native as a first-hand solution until uh, Astro Data Store comes into the picture. That's the reason when we are so excited about Astro Data Stories, there are these use cases, you know, that people want to adapt Kubernetes, uh, but you know, it's kind of uh, some of these key capabilities that are miss in an SDS form factor. So you've said SDS a few times. Is this truly a software-defined solution? Is this what this is, or is it something else? Yeah, the great question. First of all, from a form factor perspective, it is completely software-defined. We have no dependencies. Are we not going to ask you to do proprietary hardware of any sort? In fact, when I'm talking about the kernel component, it's actually user space stack, and that in the middle get a lot more detail. Having said all these things, you know, uh, we will, we being NetApp, will provide a validated configs for our customers, certain server platforms, certain devices, some certain CPU memory and uh, number of drives uh, as a as a configuration choice. But the stack is built with no assumptions on the underlying hardware. It works on any x86 server platform. We support SSDs and we support NICs. Um, and, uh, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, Astro Data Store is a Kubernetes application. So we maintain that distance uh, in a way to say uh, abstraction away from Linux kernel. So when you say SSDs, are we talking strictly SLC or are we talking also QLC flash? I let that in the answer uh, to tell uh, there is uh, we don't need SLCs. And uh, as of today, we'll eventually support QLCs, but uh, you know uh, it's a traditional three drive rate per day 
uh, typical uh, MLC TLC form factors or, or the, the NAND type. Yes, and thank you, Guna, for prompting here. Yes, our architecture, um, yeah, we love the SSDs because that's where data centers are uh, consolidating on, but we don't have a mandate that it has to be SLC. We'll work with TLC today. We'll work with QLCs when QLCs come around. Our on-disk data structures are uh, friendly enough to even cheapen commodity flash so that uh, when we do those writes and reads, we, we understand uh, that we need to be commodity flash friendly. Uh, so, so that is where TLCs today, we work, QLCs future, bring it on. So when this was designed, was it designed with the idea of, of using flash behind it? Or does it, you know, is it, in, is it optimized in a way where it benefits from flash more so than it would from, say, a spinning drive? It does benefit from flash. Uh, we love to use some of the flash performance uh, uh, benefits here. But if you strictly want to put it on, on a hard disk, uh, we would work. It's not that we will not be functional, but we do love some of the uh, performance benefits that comes with uh, flash. Yeah, so, so if, you, if you can add some color, right? Uh, that's a great perspective, uh, Arindam. Uh, so you, you so I'm gonna I'm speaking now like a product perspective. You know, this is a good combination, Justin. You got both of us. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, from a product perspective, we want to for the for the first few releases, we'll support only SSDs with Astro Data Store. Not because Arindam not designed this for uh, uh, hardware support, but we really want to go to the 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 mainstream data center where we really people are trying to run primary applications. So we want to get into the performance mix. Again, like now we are building the stack to be general purpose useful for uh, mainstream customers. So the current focus of the current qual efforts are all tied to uh, TLC SSDs. So you mentioned the commodity hardware and having reference architectures and validate architectures. Did, is there a, a plan for having like a pod where you can basically buy this as an appliance? Because I understand that with Kubernetes, there's there's some complexity with configuring that and setting it up. And then when you start to get into the, the Astro Data Store stuff, how complex is that to get running? And do you need even to, to worry about buying a pod? Is it something that's simple enough to where you can set it up and it doesn't take a lot of effort? Yeah, so the, the honest answer is it depends, right? It goes back to my thing about there's no one, one story or one size fits all. Um, so let, let, let's separate two or three things, right? First thing is architecturally. Like now we have this great architecture, Kubernetes native architecture. So I want to say wherever we run, wherever Kubernetes can run and, you know, give me some X amount of CPUs and drives and I'll give you the best shared storage solution in the world, right? That's a value proposition of Astro Data Store. The second question you're asking is very equally important. The thing is, oh, that's all good, but... You know, my customer loves plug and play, right? You know, they just want everything to be nicely packaged. They pay willing to, you know, purchase one single SKU and put it on, it will work, right? So to us, you know, that's a, that's, a, uh, that's a packaging exercise. I'm not trivializing it. It has its own challenges, right? Uh, you know, uh, which will work with our, uh, our broader ecosystem partners on how to get to that particular customer segment. Uh, the third thing you said uh, that kind of triggers my mind is uh, that uh, the commodity the hardware nature, et cetera, right? Which is, uh, oh, me as a large customer, I already have these server farms. 
but I am, say, a server vendor uh, A house, or somebody says I'm a server vendor B house, right? Because you know these people actually buy in a large chunks. So that is that interoperability matrix we talked about. So, um, so when we come out of the gate, uh, you know, right now Astro Data Store is in preview stage. Uh, you can expect us to see a, in, our, in the reference design. We're going to claim you know, some large uh, vendor support uh, as part of our own qual matrix and interoperability. But just like in a treadmill right now, we all went through this, the qual treadmill. Uh, as the new server models come up, you know, as we gain more customer traction, if a customer wants, like, you know, I really want to use a server vendor app, for example, we need to work with them. So uh, we are keeping uh, these options open. We are, we are designing it for... Uh, broad adoption because we believe everybody needs uh, a solution like this uh, or a pro or, or, yeah, exactly a solution like this and we'll package it in a way that is most comfortable for the convenient for that particular customer segment so I know with ontap select and you know our ontap defined software defined piece we can install that on any commodity hardware as well and that includes competitor hardware so let's say we buy competitor X for our environment and we decide that competitor X wasn't doing the job, I want to give Astro Data Store a spin. Can I put Astro Data Store on top of competitor X's commodity hardware? Yeah, you could You could run uh, on any commodity hardware, depending upon, uh, as Gunnar said, if it's x86 hardware, we will run. We don't, uh, we run on SSDs, as we said, for the first few releases, we'll optimize on SSDs. Um, other, other than that, we don't need a specific uh, NVRAM card or a specific uh, journaling device. Uh, you give us any device as a journaling device, we just work on it. So, uh, yes, the answer to short is yes, we, we, we will run on any x86 device and have no, we work with standard NICs, uh, we work with standard SSDs, off-the-shelf SSDs, so no dependency in short. Yeah. So the, the only thing, uh, it's not a disclaimer. The only the additional data point I want to say is a couple of things are in them said in quick succession. If you guys just double click on that, very important. We are designing this architecture for broad adoption, right? You know, that includes competitive hardware. I know when you say competition is from a server vendor perspective, right? Oh, because vendors participate in different market segments and some of them actually are market leaders in their respective segments. Uh, so that, that's the reality of life, and we make sure we actually work on them. One thing is to say, actually, we work on them. That's great, right? We also uh, going uh, like two steps ahead of that particular uh, statement that Arindam is giving us for architecturally. We're also working to establish this TSA relationships with those vendors so that if a vendor is using server vendor uh, A solution, I mean, uh, Astro Data Store and a server vendor A solution server, with you know Kubernetes cluster from one of our ecosystem partners, so there are actually three layers in the stack, right? Uh, uh, you know we don't want customer to should they God forbid should they run into issue, we don't want to like you know uh, vertical point fingers at each other. So we are working to establish relationships among you know the three constituents that the customer still gets the best in class uh, uh, support experience, right? So it's not only to say that oh, I'll work. But we are making sure that operationally it is, uh, you know, uh, as frictionless as possible to our customers. Yeah, and I, when I say competitor systems, I have very specific <laughs> competitors in mind. I know. 
I can't say them. <laughs> I'm not going to say them. But yeah, um, you don't need to. But yeah. the, the way I look at this is when, when so you had an insight presentation. It's BRK one three three nine dash two. So if anyone's interested, go to the insight page and get that and take a look at that. It goes into some detail about the the uh, Astro Data Store piece. But as I was watching this, it made me think of. It was very. It felt very much like an HCI, right? So it's it's like uh, the concept is scaling compute, scaling capacity independently as you need more resources, but using shared nothing architecture, and that brought to mind several competitors. That if if you decide as a customer that you know competitor X isn't getting the job done, I really want to use Astro Data Store for this. That that could potentially be a replacement for that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm very happy. First of all, thanks a lot for the plugin for 13392, 13392-2. Please watch. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Justin. Um, but picking up, you know, where you left on the, uh, the the competition and also the HCI story. So the way we are thinking, I know uh, when we when we talked about our HCI, we had this, why where Kubernetes actually comes into the picture, right? Again, like, you know, if you just give, if you ask, I want to them to ask some questions on a service-based architecture. Like it's nicely designed. I'm giving some lead to them. If you don't mind, Arindam, you know, please explain uh, right after I stop on that, your, your great architecture. The, the key thing is it gives us such a flexibility on where we can deploy, right? Um, and once we deploy in a, in a fashion that can coexist with applications, I think, just in your comment about HCI, I think it's coming from that lens. Can I coexist with applications, right? I think, you know, that's the answer is yes. Uh, Astro Data Store needs its own resources. And Arinda will tell you like, you know, what is going to do with these resources and how the architecture scales very, very naturally. Uh, once we do that, uh, you know, you can run along with the applications and then you can run on any x86 server form factor because as I mentioned earlier, we don't have any hard dependencies on a particular type of hardware. Once we do this, you know, it's like up for the grabs, right? At that time, it's more about an application-centric view rather than the operational view. Operationally, we mitigated lots of issues, both from an interoperability perspective, data operations and supportability. Now the question comes out, that's all great. Now what can I do for my application? That's where we give the power of shared file, uh, scalability, and the the everything that... Uh, Kubernetes offers uh, to application developers, we enhance that with this uh, best of breed uh, shared file service native to the Kubernetes cluster. So Justin, uh, taking a step back, right? You asked, you asked about uh, scaling performance and capacity independently. Uh, and you also asked HCI. Now we are containerized. That's, that's the first thing I'd like to start with. The, our uh, software runs in a container form factor. And therefore, we could run anywhere uh, in a, for example, in a Kubernetes cluster, as long as you give us the resources to run. When, when I say resources, it's CPU, it's memory, and it's some storage for us to create volumes for the application. So, and uh, here is where our service-based architecture becomes even more important is uh, depending upon how you allocate the resources to us, we can, selectively start services on those uh, Kubernetes worker nodes or any other node where you give us some resources to run with. Um, so for example, uh, our architecture is capable that you, if you just give us uh, nodes that doesn't have devices, some of our services are capable of running on those nodes as well. 
so that that allows us to start services and use the compute resources given. Now, a big part of storage is a lot of data crunching operations, and that that needs compute. Like we we support things like global deduplication. We support things like inline compression. They're, they're compute heavy functions. Right, so we need compute to run. So whenever you give us compute and some capacity, we can start services, and our service-based architecture automatically detects where to start what and supports uh, uh, co containers in terms of volumes for the applications to consume. So, uh, and that that is the flexibility, right? For example, I can I can run services, which is a file service, for example, on one node, and I can host some volumes from that node for the application, some persistent volumes for the applications. On some other nodes, uh, I can just start my storage management and block service uh, management services, and they just do my um, storage management functions, and I don't host volumes from that node. So, it, so this mix and match architecture, the service-based architecture, which is selectively I can start things on demand, allows us to really utilize resources in the best possible manner and uh, be able to scale uh, uh, application performance or application capacity independently. So let's start with the compute piece. Um, now the containers themselves, it, from what it appears to be, is they're, they're services that are based on things that they can do. Like so, for example, there's a there's a file protocol service container. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. So so in terms of the entire stack, Justin, there are several uh, containers or several parts. For example. Um, there is the control plane part of it and the data plane part of it. And we do leverage Kubernetes features like uh, daemon sets or stateful sets um, to run some of those capabilities uh, because we are providing storage from the Kubernetes control plane. Uh, now, so a lot of that is containers today. A lot of them are not containers today, but just binaries within the same container or pod, uh, but they do perform a specific function. So our eventual goal is to decouple all of them and run in containers maybe over time. But uh, as long as I could spin up a container with a service, now one container could have multiple services or one container could have one service. I can spin that up. And that, that is the flexibility we keep. Uh, and when I say every service is not a container uh, or every container is not a service, that's the flexibility we, we want to arrive at. Like I could spin up a container with one or more services as needed. Um, and that is where, you know, it is service-based, doesn't mean it's equivalent to containers, but we start services within containers, if I if I am convoluting it a little bit too much. Yeah, so I guess, I guess what I was getting at was with the compute side, if I need parallel NFS operations mm -hmm. for, a, mm -hmm. for a specific job, mm -hmm. I could spin up multiple services within a container that, do par parallel threads, or do I need to have multiple containers to parallelize that? So as long as you um, see, see you, you want to parallelize your NFS operations, as long as you give us uh, uh, a node, a worker node that has uh, uh, a NIC that my NFS clients can uh, connect to, and I, I can host volumes from that node. Uh, and from that node, I will just start my container or one or more containers that are needed depending upon the resources available on that node and the functions I need to provide from that node. 
And then I can add more nodes to add more compute, which then I can add yes. more services to those nodes and, and yes. scale out that way. That's how I scale my compute. It just scales out horizontally. Yes. You know, you add That's more nodes. We, we think of everything as, uh, you know, compute, DRAM, and capacity. Now, compute could reside on another node, and we should be able to, you know, uh, encapsulate that node into a larger cluster. Yeah. The, the, the only thing I just want to, uh, the only thing I just want to, uh, sorry for interjection, the only thing I want to add to this is, I don't want people to think node uh, in terms of like a physical box. Think of this as like a Kubernetes worker node. It could as well be a virtual VM, right? That's the most thing. And the other thing is, one of the things what Arindam is telling, which is very, very critical. This is exactly where our architecture also different from some of our competition, competition is that the current existing solutions is, we do not need all the cores on that Kubernetes worker node. People can assign X number of cores and what is that telling about X amount, some amount of RAM. Uh, that also goes back to on the same worker node, we can coexist with the applications. Right, yeah. Arindam? Absolutely. And that's where we look at resources in terms of CPU, DRAM, and capacity. Now, if you, if, and Guna is right, right? a uh, worker node, a node is a worker node. A node is a world logical concept in our world. Exactly. And a node to us is nothing but some CPU and DRAM and capacity. That's it. And as long as you give us access to that, so for example, you have a very beefy node and you want to put our stack along with the application stack, very much possible. Now, Kubernetes containers allow us to run containers with different resource groups, right? That's what Linux C groups is all about. And that's what we really leverage. So it doesn't matter as long as there could be 100 applications with us, there could be no applications with us running on the same physical hardware, as long as we get the resources. Yeah, and, and I started with compute on purpose because I feel like that's not as hard of a problem to solve as the capacity. Because when you start to scale out the capacity, now you get into different issues. So, you know, for example, when we have an ONTAP cluster, we have isolated nodes, isolated disks, isolated aggregates. And we have things like flex groups to span multiple nodes, but we're still dealing with data structures within a set domain. So how does Astra Data Store handle data structures that need to be shared across different capacity domains as you start to add capacity to scale? That's, that's a nice segue, Justin. Thanks for asking. Yes, um, you don't have to create aggregates. You don't have to create rate groups. Gone are those days. Uh, we, you know, we are giving a single pool of storage to the users. So whenever you add a node, it just adds capacity to the overall pool of storage of Astro Data Store. Users do not have to create anything on those nodes. The software detects that a new node has been added and, and the new node has capacity. So our services automatically add that capacity to the overall storage capacity of the cluster and rebalance the cluster automatically. Application doesn't even know something is happening in the background. So it's when you say rebalance the cluster, are we talking about rebalancing the data or are you talking about rebalancing the resources? It, it is actually both. When you, when you add a node with capacity and compute, uh, we would rebalance the capacity to take advantage of this new capacity that you added so that I am capacity balanced across my nodes. I would also move certain certain volumes across to this new node because I can now be better load balanced because you gave me some more CPU to run. So I will do that. 
So what sort of impact does this have while this is happening? Is is there a noticeable performance hit while we're rebalancing or is it something that is pretty unnoticeable? It, it is pretty unnoticeable. Uh, that is where our QoS comes in and we, we guarantee floors or QoS mints for uh, the applications. And we do our best to maintain that whenever these operations happen. And any background operations, we whenever we do these background operations, we manage the QoS properties and the flow control that is happening. So we really tune, there's a lot of tuning happening, self-tuning happening in the system, within the system, understanding that the movement of my of data through my background operations should not in any way impede my uh, front-end uh, client IOs. And I ask this because we have competitors that have this issue, right? When they add new nodes, they add storage, they have to start moving things around, reallocating blocks, and that takes a pretty considerable hit to the performance. I won't name names again. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, this this is, I guess we're trying to address that here. Now, as we talk about this, I think it becomes more and more apparent that this is not on tap. Is that accurate? This is a new story, Joyce. You're right. And though we have taken IPs existing in, within the company, and why would not be? Because uh, NetApp has been a champion in, in files, right? And all, all the NAS services and all of the resiliency that we have imparted to our product. So yes, we, we have leveraged IP from within the company, but this is a new storage OS. And this combines capabilities from different IPs to build new features that we were not able to do in the past with any one of our individual IPs. So yes, uh, this is a new storage OS again. Yeah, so, so the, the, the couple of things, you know, I just want to emphasize for any storage any storage stack, right, there are three things uh, we should think about. One thing is the core, the store, the maturity of the data path, because that's the heart of any storage stack, you know, parting aside, uh, parking aside these issues of scale, et cetera, you know, is my data path mature that uh, you can sleep at night? Um, that's one thing I want to emphasize. When uh, Arindam says we leverage the maturity of, uh, there are mature building blocks uh, in NetApp data management. You know, obviously, you know, ONTAP, Waffle, kind of very synonymous with NetApp, but we have a lot of IP that's built over the course of the time. And some of these things, you know, not in all the all in all its glory or all its capabilities, we're actually currently shipping in the cloud some some aspects of them. So the best way that we are with Astro Data Store, we are bringing. And Arindam says new storage OS. This is something you know I want us people to appreciate. Is we are bringing a instead of putting like NetApp centric view, we're actually putting Kubernetes first view what exactly that stack requires, what do those use cases require, right? And then we are bringing, you know, the best of breed technologies from NetApp. This, you know, some of them are actually mature, been shipping for decades and sometimes in different form factors. Sometimes it needs uh, putting all these things together. But now to you as a customer, we're going to give this Kubernetes native storage stack, right? Uh, that's the first time we are doing uh, but it's built on the crown jewels of the, the company. And uh, now if you add to this, all the innovations that he just articulated, uh, you know, he did not dig deep. I think, you know, we should take, you know, sometime in the future, we will double click or, you know, each of these topics will take may, may take its own session. 
Um, we can talk about the core innovation that we brought up. It's just not like, you know, you take one here, one there and plumb it and, you know, call it a day. There's a lot of core engineering that and innovation happened to, to make it very seamless uh, and make it uh, um, uh, Kubernetes centric or native. So, so even, so what we looked at Justin is um, Kubernetes is extremely popular. Stateful applications in Kubernetes is real. And Gunnar and I looked at how many stateful applications were migrating to Kubernetes. Uh, like we, we were surprised. And so what they need is they need three things, right? They need, these are cloud native architectures. So that uh, shared access to their persistent volumes for these Kubernetes applications is very important, right? So that these, these cloud native applications can scale horizontally. I can, they can start another pod on another worker node and can still access the same persistent volume. Very important for their architectures. It's also very important, I think Guna said a little while back, for existing legacy applications moving to Kubernetes because these applications, they're written with shared file systems in mind. So we absolutely wanted to provide shared file systems to Kubernetes. So that's, that's one of the pillars of our architecture. The second is the scale. Again, we are supporting microservice app, cloud native applications. It's important to scale and scale up. So we, we have built, if you look at our system on an outside in view, you can support many, many file systems on the same uh, block namespace. While that gives us the isolation, the performance isolation for every file system, that's where I mentioned QoS a little while back, uh, and we manage QoS minimums, or minimum performance for every application. It, it also, so that performance isolation combined with the efficiency of the block sharing underneath that we can do because we have these many file systems on the same common block namespace that gives us features like global deduplication. Every block yes. in the system is deduplicated and it's never repeated twice. So those, those are the advantages. We give you the performance as well as the capacity optimizations that you need. And you talked about uh, scaling performance and capacity independently. This is another example. And so this is our second pillar. And our third pillar is, as Guna said, we have been used to providing resilient systems, uh, you know, decades worth of resiliency. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, resiliency, you cannot go beyond us. Right. Think about anything that can go wrong. Lost right protections, inline repairs. We can manage all of them. Uh, context checks, multi-layer uh, checksums. We have all of that. So we were very, very cognizant that, you know, Kubernetes practitioners they're not used to storage, managing storage. They are uh, their skills are better managing applications. So we bring that expertise to this Kubernetes application practitioners that. You put your data, go to sleep. You don't have to worry about it. We take care of your data. So let's drill a little bit more into the resiliency thing because this is where we start to have a divergence from what ONTAP was or is, right, into what this is. So as we touched on before, ONTAP is aggregates and nodes and HA pairs. So you have, you have fault domains. You have HA pair fault domains. With this architecture, you have a shared nothing. So the nodes will fail over no matter where they are in the cluster, which is something that people have been asking for for ONTA for a long time. How is that handled on, on, when you have a node failure? And the other question is, what happens to RAID DP? What are, we, what are we doing for RAID protection? Good question, Justin. So let's talk about resiliency. 
And I say that here in this architecture, we have combined uh, the cloud resiliency models with enterprise level data protection schemes. So when I say cloud resiliency models, we, we know that the, this is a shared nothing in terms of the storage that we use, shared nothing architecture and nodes can pay. We are working on commodity infrastructure. So we have features that can protect against that. So I'd like to talk about our availability zone feature, uh, our protection domain feature where we can survive not only if you configure our solution across racks and where the rack is a availability zone, we could survive an entire rack failure if you configure it right. So it's very important. So this is a cloud resiliency model, availability zones. Even if you don't uh, configure uh, availability zones, we still offer you data protection against node failures through replication. So, so we, we combine replication to protect you from node failures and that replication understands uh, availability zone concepts. Plus, we also have within the node redundancy encoding for every block of data so that if there is a drive failure within the node, we can repair the data locally. So that's a key aspect of distributed systems. As long as you can repair the data locally and limit the blast radius of your errors, your distributed systems work better than if you have to go across the node, across the network and repair data for every block that you cannot read or every disk error that you find. So we have redundancy encoding. Um, you can call that RAID, you can call that redundancy encoding um, where we give all that protection so that you don't have to go outside uh, to repair your data. Plus, here is where we, we add a little bit of value add too. We understand that there could be drive failures within the node and that drive takes a little while to rebuild and it's a little bit resource hungry because I'm rebuilding data. In that case, our load balancing algorithms can temporarily move volumes away from the node and move to another node so that it balances the overall load of the system, understanding that, okay, here I have a node that is doing some rebuild operations. Let me give it some oxygen and move and move my volumes away. And all this is happening with applications not even knowing what's happening in the background. And we can talk for days on this, but very important. That I am super proud of the team, uh, the way our guys actually architected. It's very nuanced. We have resiliency all the way from the lowest level, a single block. You know, and I them quickly rattled, but I just want you know spend like a, at least thirty seconds time so that people appreciate the thought in getting that. The, the, if there's any, the block level resilience is very important. That's where data could get corrupted. So we protect multiple layers of checks so that bad block detection. There is no uh, data corruption issues. They're all recognized and solved locally without taking a big hammer and trying to solve the problem at the highest level possible. So that's the most important thing, like all the way to the lowest level. Now, there are a couple of things he said, which are also, I believe you know, is like a cloud native uh, HA principles are availability zones. So now you can actually combine with the Kubernetes topology concept, right? So the block level protection in the software, now your drive level protection through the local encoding schemes he talked about. There is node level protection uh, because of the replication. Now you have the topology aware 
mess that we put the thing back in the customer's hand saying that, you know what, now you define what a rack is to you, right? What is the production domain and we'll replicate across. And then you can also now offer data center-wide protection, right? Public, private, you know, however you want to think about. So the, the, the reason I, I kind of interjected myself is uh, to going back to your earlier comment, you know, people store data on, you know, like on tap or NetApp and like, you know, feel happy about it, that, you know, they are like stress reduced. ADS will play to the core significant value. I, I, this is not like, you know, like ADS 10.0 product I'm talking about. Uh, right from the preview capabilities, we have these things like, you know, already in functional stage. Uh, the GA product uh, will already have uh, everything that he talked about. So this is, uh, resilience is the core of our value proposition. Again, goes to the 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 big mantra that we're going after. We are going after the mainstream Kubernetes workloads, or we want to customers to deploy Kubernetes or adapt Kubernetes for their mainstream applications. No holds barred. You mentioned a while back, right, uh, whether this is a new OS, and I said, we do leverage our existing IP. So all the resilience is of lost right protection, you know, yeah. audity drives, uh, context mismatch detections, bad block detections, automatic repair of those. We bring along all of that experience because resiliency is very important to us and, and anybody who owns data, and we understand that. Yeah, and I, I think... When people hear new OS, it gives them pause, right? Because they're used to ONTAP. They're used to the other things that we do. Got it. So when we start to tell people about how things are accessed, it sounds like we've taken some of that stuff from ONTAP, the good stuff, and and, and pulled it into this, and then taken the good stuff from other IP that we have and pulled it into this as well. So when we talk about the good stuff with ONTAP, it usually has to do with file services and data access. So. How are we how are we able to access data from a protocol standpoint? What are we supporting today with Azure Data Store? And you know, what do we not what are we not able to do with that? So we are supporting files, as you know, uh, and we are starting with the NFS protocol, NFS v4.1. Um, we chose 4.1 because of multiple reasons, security, uh, some additional features, locking, you get all of that with 4.1. Um, Architecturally, yes, as you said, we have taken some of the goodies of ONTAP, the things that people have loved about ONTAP. So architecturally, we can do other protocols like SMB in future. Uh, We could do blocks, we could do objects, everything is possible. It's just a matter of timing. And I'd like Guna chime in on that about uh, what his intent is on the product roadmap on supporting additional protocols. Yes, thanks, Arindam. Um, I'll actually kind of level up, uh, up-level the, the, that question, Justin, if you will. Um, with Astro Data Store, uh, we are basically going to the next generation use cases. Uh, you know, the best way to think of those things are like application-driven storage. So compared to a developer, you know, asking storage to a storage admin, the application will request uh, a data volume of its choice, right? You know, in the Kubernetes concept, it's called storage classes. I know they will tell like, these are the capabilities, give me a PV, and then you know, the volume shows up. In the VMware case, it's the VVOLs. They're based on the SPBM policy. You know, ADS will support you know, a number of SPBM policies. The customer, the, the, the use case, choose one SPBM policy and they get it. 
right? So as you can, the, the key t- topic is, you know, there's an abstraction happening at that level. So in which case, you know, we say not, I'm going to support file PVs. I'm going to support uh, uh, VWALs backed up, you know, by a NFS protocol endpoint, right? So when we speak this language, you know, we don't want to think of ADS through the, the traditional lenses of a network, pure, simple, general purpose network attached storage, um, or even a SAN. Instead, you know, we want to think about uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a data service that can be accessed through industry standard protocol clients. The 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 reason why you want to kind of emphasize that industry standard protocol clients is we you know all the greatness uh, that we're delivering through ADS does not require a customer to deploy a proprietary client software either in kernel or user space or even in their application pod, right? Very critical. This is, this is how exactly you simplify that the, the day two and also deliver to our broader promise of ADS or Kubernetes for mainstream enterprise adoption, right? So I just want to kind of, you know, that is my, like, you know, I want to level up the conversation that think in terms of applications, right? You know, like application-driven infrastructure. So having said all of them, so now you can say, oh, that's all good. You know, now tell me, like, you know, what are those industry standard protocols we're supporting? So to, today at the, at the preview and uh, in the near future, we want to take care of this shared file problem because that is the most complex problem. You know, people talk about it. It's kind of, you know, we think there is a users are deprived uh, of uh, having access to a mature uh, shared file service uh, that is native to Kubernetes, right? So that's where uh, we are going with it. And to give you like all the value and all the uh, capabilities as Arindam just mentioned, the underlying protocol is standard v4.1. So they can leverage uh, all the greatness that comes with v4.1. And you know we are the best NFS server in the world. We being like you know, NetApp, right? And we are leveraging again that part of the stack uh, that has been shipping forever as part of ADS. Um, and then in the future, this is a couple of things. I know I'm going to give you throw some more jargon at you, but you know, I, your audience and you will appreciate. Uh, the, the natural question for the file is, oh, what about SMB? You know, NetApp is the best of SMB. What happened to it, right? SMB 3. Um, so the, the 1.22 and onwards, I'm talking about Kubernetes version. The Windows containers are like now, now mainstream. Um, you know, so far, kind of industry lagged, uh, our Kubernetes community lagged on Windows container support. What's happening? So it's a matter of time um, when we will add the the SMB three to ADS stack because um, the, the stack is built such a way that you know we can map multiple data access protocols uh, onto that uh, distributed uh, storage system uh, that our team built, right? Uh, now the third thing is, oh, that's all file PVs. Or oh, what about my uh, block PVs? What if you know my application really wants to use block? So I'm going to give you the subtlety here, if you don't mind. I hope your audience appreciates. So in the past, everybody used to provide a block PV, and the application used to mount a local file system on it. So theoretically, they're asking a block PV, but the application is using a literally a file system, like an ext4 on the top. What we want to tell to the customers is, guys, if you want file, use file PV. Right, you don't need to do through, go through the jumps. More importantly, you guys shared file access right from the get go. Right now, in uh, uh, I want to say like 1.19 or 1.20, kind of I'm skipping it. Uh, uh, Kubernetes allowed uh, raw block volume. Right, you know it's a it's a 
it's a it's a PV for which you know they're not they're getting a PV and they're not mounting a local file system on it. You think of like you know a database using the block device natively managing. Those applications are usually very far and few. Uh, you know, even the typical Cassandra, MongoDB, they take a block PV, make a local file system on top of it, and then use it, right? Um, versus a, some database that natively uses the block device. So those raw block volumes, you know, uh, you know that's where the, the, the what is the block protocol of your choice? Uh, we will support. Uh, right now, we're investigating, uh, you know, iSCSI versus NVMe or TCP in the future. So, you know, that's very natural choice for us. Um, uh, and then, you know, you, if you... You didn't ask, but you know, when I speak all that, you know, I should also talk about the potential future. What about object storage protocols? Uh, so Kubernetes community is now defining COSI, uh, you know, uh, the, basically the, the container interface for object storage. Um, you know, we will, you know, we'll support it, you know, whenever the community is ready with those interfaces. Um, I'll stop there. There's a lot more happening on that data access front. I don't want to talk too much about it, but uh, all I can say is you're, we are building this uh, unified uh, data stack. Um, we'll take care of your most important, what is holding you back from adopting Kubernetes kind of a solution, which is shared file service. And then rest of it is, you know, we'll naturally extend in due course. Yeah. And, and oftentimes with protocol choice, it isn't so much about if it's the best choice. It's about this is what my app uses. Support. Got it. Right. So, you know, things like NFS v4.1 are intriguing, but, you know, there are codependencies. There are things like name services. There are things like Kerberos. There are things like, you know, setting up the ID domains. Um, is there a reason why we didn't look at NFS v3 at all here? I mean, that usually is where we start because it's the simplest to deploy. Why not NFS v3 in this case? Yeah, I'll give you my product view, and then them can you know add on the technical front. Uh, so first of all, the stack supports both v3 and v4.1. It's not like the stack doesn't support. Okay, cool. Um, I want to make sure I, yeah, just yeah, yeah. So from that. so from no 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 the, the the in fact no we all know that right. So the the reason why we want to kind of emphasize the v4.1 is some of these the, the our our Kubernetes applications you know they needed certain kind of uh, access controls that are very tough to provide with v3, right? Uh, and then that is our kind of a design point saying that like, you know, as you think about the future modern applications, uh, get into the stack uh, and then, uh, you know, have a V3 for those clients, you know, that, that they can't use. Yeah, thank you, Guna. Yeah, you know, that's that's primarily the reasons uh, we supported uh, V4.1 is because of the access control. I, I mentioned security, it's access control. There are other features that we would love to use that, uh, comes with uh, v4.1 and that is reference. And uh, that, that gives us some capabilities of moving things around a little better, do some load balancing. So there are multiple reasons why we went with v4.1. And as Guna said, v3 is supported or the stack supports it. It's just that uh, we are not going out with it. Do, do you also support PNFS with 4.1 today or is that? <laughs> That's the future. Uh, I, I know there is, is <laughs> I, I, I don't know architecture. It's not like the lack of architecture. Uh, you, you tell us, you know, Justin, you're the subject matter expert in this. So you, you, what is your, what do you want? Do you want us to support or not? Well, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good use case for this, right? So, you know, getting localization of those paths to the data reduces a lot of that latency and, and you're not having the same problems necessarily going over a cluster back end. But as I understand it, these nodes are either hardware or VMs are going to be ethernet connected. So the more you can 
remove that interconnect out of the equation, the better your performance is going to be overall. Sure, yeah. And you think of some of these questions, uh, you know, that most of the answer is, you know, we can because, you know, those building blocks are the same between different products in NetApp. Um, it's about, you know, like making sure that the rest of the control paths are fully plumbed and quad. That is where our service-based architecture helps. <laughs> take anything we like and put it inside this because it's a service <laughs> that we start and that gives us the decoupling we need and the flexibility to get new features in. So it's yeah. that's where it helps. Yeah, and I, and I don't expect this to have everything on day one, right? I, I just I want to flesh out what it has and what it doesn't have and, and start to think about what it could use, right? And you know, for, <laughs> for example, with, with your block protocol piece, again, going back to you you can't tell somebody what to use for their application. The application decides. If you're going to pick a block protocol, you probably want to look at NVMe over TCP because you're reducing that amount of chatter latency. across the, you know, yeah. the network and the latency. So why not choose the fastest and, and the, the most integrated with that? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. All right. So I think we've got done a good job of covering, you know, kind of what's in this, right? I mean, we got a lot more we could talk about, of course, and we can do that in a future episode, but we've, we've got a lot of content here today. I really want to spend, you know, maybe at next session, uh, there are a lot of things we did in the control integration native to Kubernetes. So that's one topic we really want to think about. I mean, we really want to talk about. Today, we focused on the crown jewels of the innovation. Uh, you know, the, the other aspect is like, you now how Arindam kind of said, like the very, very uh, important point. Right from the stack, we built for a non-typical storage admin. How do we simplify that persona's life, right? So we you know at next opportunity we get, you know, we will double-click on that and you know, talk to you uh, about the the control path integration. Yeah, absolutely. And this, I think, it's important to kind of break it up into bits, right? So you can kind of, of get course. a better overall view of this. But you know, what I really wanted to flesh out was how it worked what it was made of and what it can do. So and that, I think we did a good job of covering that. Yes. And thank you, Justin, for inviting us to this. And you know, <laughs> as you can figure out, Guna and I are always excited to talk about this. And we can talk much more in a future uh, uh, chat with you. So, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, please share, your, please share your audience feedback. You know, if there are any topics they would like us to discuss. Uh, certainly, like, you know, uh, we may not be in a position to tell everything that that's going on. Uh, but this is a product we are building for the future. Uh, uh, we are building both for containers and VMware support. That's another thing, you know, at later forum, we can talk uh, detail about how best are we supporting, you know, the, the VMware uh, use cases. So today, we did not get a chance to talk much other than telling you some high level. And then control path we talked about. And uh, the, 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 the other very, very important thing uh, is... This is a very powerful architecture. This is the best architecture of leveraging some mature building blocks in this great uh, flexible paradigm of uh, uh, cloud native design patterns and leverage the Kubernetes orchestrator to give us this additional power. So that opens up a lot of new use cases, uh, uh, you know, that we will share with, uh, you know, your audience in the, in the, in the coming future. Yeah, when I when I looked at this, I I saw a lot more here than just Kubernetes, right? I saw a, a lot of potential. Um, if somebody wanted to get a preview of this, how would they go about that? 
Oh yeah, thank you. Uh, actually, uh, if people can go to cloud.netapp.com/astra, uh, you know, I mean, I, I really don't want to spell the whole. <laughs> well, yeah, we can, add, we can add to the blog, but you know, just yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there is actually you know the preview site is open now. Um, we want people to go and register, and then uh, once the preview becomes available, they'll get notifications. Um, and they can download and play with it. You know, it's it's a, they'll they'll get like you know a typical four node cluster. Um, it is uh, it is a pro bono license, uh, so they, they don't need to pay anything. They get I think about three months uh, license uh, to play with. That's great for we really encourage uh, our partners, customers to play with and like you know give us the feedback uh, that we could leverage uh, not only from a roadmap perspective, but between now the preview and the product goes out uh, for GA. All right. Excellent. So again, if you want to reach uh, Guna or Arendam, you can find them on LinkedIn or email. We'll put those in the blog as well. We'll also put a link to Arendam's blog into the into our blog. So you have a blog inside of a blog. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, anything else that either you, uh, Guna or Arendam want to add to this? I think thanks a lot for the opportunity. You know, we love to serve um, our customers with uh, the most innovative Kubernetes uh, data service out there. Uh, so looking forward to working with you. And give us your feedback. You, when you use okay. the product, go use the product, give us your feedback. We'll be happy to incorporate and make it the best Kubernetes native file system. All right, excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Arindam Banjuri and Guna Maraputi for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.